God is good. And all of the time. Amen. Amen. So um, the Lord just put this verse, gave me, gave me this verse this morning. This is 1 John 3, part of verse 1. It says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. That's the part that just really grabbed me this morning, that the Father has loved us. Every single one of you and everybody who's watching, the Father has loved you, has loved you personally so much that he made you your chi- his child. And then he just says, and so we are. That is the truth. That is the reality of who you are and who we are today, sitting here, joining together to love and worship our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, as we do every week, just thank you. Thank you again for making the choice to walk in that childhood. Thank you for making the choice to come and be with brothers and sisters, because again, that is who we are. We are his children. We are brothers and sisters of one another in the family of God. And we come together to be his family, to worship him as his family, to live together as his family. And that is a joy to do. So thanks for joining us, whether you're here in person, whether you're joining us online. We really do appreciate and value your participation this morning. So would you just pray with me as we get ready to just move forward today? So Lord, Father, thank you. Thank you for that love that you have expressed to us in your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for the love that you embodied, your father's love for us in your choice to come, to live, to die, to be resurrected, and to give us your spirit. Lord, that is a love that we, it is hard to, it's unfathomable. It is impossible to even understand or describe, but we have the truth and the reality that so we are. We are loved, we are your children, and we thank you for that. So we, we are happy that you are here with us today, Lord, as we, as we sing, as we are taught, as we pray, as we just interact with you and with one another this morning, Lord. Would you just fill this place? Would you be the life that, that is in us and lives through us with one another? It's in your name, and we honor and love you, Jesus. Amen. Um, so, kids, I see kids kind of ready to go. There, there's the Marin boys ready to go. Okay, kids, what time is it? All right, come on, kids, come on down. Here we go, right out the door here. Oh, Josie, you look so excited. <laughs> All right. All right, great. Okay, so uh, just a a few announcements. Um, Last weekend, uh, there were actually five guys from here, myself included, uh, went up to Fraser Park, and we went to a men's retreat um, called Solely Business. Um, This is actually the five of us, and the guy in the middle is uh, Randy's son, Haas. He came over from Bakersfield. We had really a spectacular time. This was uh, kind of Friday afternoon, all day Saturday, and then Sunday morning. And as a first-time attendee, I had heard about this uh, pretty regularly from Bill and Randy, who've been before. And honestly, men, this was a very, very powerful event. Uh, It was really an opportunity for men from a a diverse 
walks of life. That was really one of the things that impressed me the most being there was the diversity of men from every walk of life from, you know, the guy sitting next to me who had probably spent more time in prison than out of prison, you know, to uh, the guy on the other side of me was a probation officer and a, 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 a pharmacist and an investment banker, just a wide array of guys, but all of the guys being there to really grapple with our faith, to grapple with our pursuit of God. And it was a very, very powerful weekend on a personal level and on an interpersonal level. So the point of bringing that up is that um, there are multiple of these uh, retreats that take place um, every year. There's one coming up, and I guess the next one is in, in March of next year, but they are doing sign-ups, and sign-ups literally fill up within about an hour. And so the sign-ups are this upcoming Sunday, November 22nd, at 2 p.m., and that means like not not 2.30, not 3 o'clock. It's like at 2 p.m. being online. So if it's something that you're interested in, you actually could uh, just go out to, it's called Solely Business is how you could find it on the web, or more specifically, talk to Randy, uh, and Randy would be happy to give you more information about it, help you through the sign-up process, that kind of stuff. But I really encourage men uh, whether you're here or whether you're watching, to really give that some serious consideration. It was a wonderful event. Um, the next uh, uh, announcement is just about a family movie event. You've heard about this, but just want to remind you, on Saturday, December 4th at 2 p.m., uh, it's going to be here uh, for families or anybody who'd like to, to come, and it's going to be the movie The Star. So we encourage you to take advantage of that. And then next is... My, my lovely wife, my bride, the love of my life. Good morning. Um, well, the women at the well, we're having a Christmas brunch this year because uh, we can do it. And so it's going to be uh, December 11th, 11 a.m. here at the well. Um, this is just kind of a save the date announcement just to give you a heads up about it. Um, and we will have more announcements each week about more specifics, but it's a brunch. Uh, we're going to have um, cookie exchange. We're going to have optional crafts. So um, you can sign up. We have a sign-up sheet in the back. You can RSVP me at my email here. Uh, but it's just kind of keep it in mind. Start signing up. Uh, also, if you'd like to help, let me know or Katie. Uh, so um, we're looking forward to it. Hope you all can come. And also in to, uh, to invite a friend. Start thinking about maybe a neighbor or friend that you can invite to it as well. Thank you, Mrs. Bodycomb. <laughs> I hear about this every time we go home. It's like, you know. So, <laughs> so, um, so lastly, actually, we had a, a dad in uh, here uh, last week make a recommendation to Richie relative to the sermon notes. Uh, which has been incorporated. It was a great idea. So if you happen to use the sermon notes, on the front is uh, what is normally just the verses and kind of a blank space to take notes as the Lord kind of puts things on your heart. But what's been added is on the back is like a little fill in the blank uh, kind of a thing. So if that is something that's kind of what you like to do, whether you're young or whether you're old, it doesn't matter. Uh, but on the back is an opportunity to kind of follow along with the content of the message and kind of take notes with a little bit of prompting and stuff. So I see uh, Bobby's running back to get one so he can uh, do that. Great.
Thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, before we jump into uh, Philippians, I want to uh, give a word of encouragement regarding the sermon notes. Okay, um, if you were with us way back when we started 11 years ago, you may remember I used to do them on half page, and it was almost the whole thing, and they were filling the blanks and questions. And, and uh, you know, it was helpful, uh, but I'm also very guarded about that, uh, and here's why. I know that many of you like the notes, and, and I appreciate you look up the verses, and you like the points, and, you know, you actually reflect and meditate on it and, and seek application during the week. Um, the balance point when you have sermon notes in this format uh, is to be guarded that, that coming to church and listening to a sermon becomes academic, okay? And now it's more like school or a seminar, because uh, I've been at churches where they had the notes, and I get the helpfulness of it. Um, but, you know, if you're like me, you know, you see the blank, and even before church, I'm trying to fill them in, because... I'm trying to figure out what, what the answer, what the right answer is going to be, right? And I remember Saturday nights when we were at the Wesleyan Church, and uh, I would be walking through saying hi to everyone. And, you know, people are filling in the blanks before the service even started to get a jump on, on the sermon. Uh, so just a word of encouragement. If it's a tool and it helps you bring application and, um, you know, brings to mind what you heard today, uh, that's great. It's, it's just a tool. Uh, if it begins to distract you from the Spirit speaking to you in the context of a live service, uh, then you may want to really kind of tread slowly with this because the last thing I would want you to do is come and be more concerned about a right answer than what the Spirit is speaking to your life. You know, you miss, you miss something or honestly, it can become a bit of a deflection little bit of a way to ease some spiritual exhortation and conviction from the Holy Spirit because, I, you know, I got the right answer, right? And, and it was just, I listened and I got all the answers right. So here's the thing. Uh, I was thinking, you know, one way to use it appropriately, maybe think ahead, look ahead on it. And so you know what you're looking for or listening for. Um, sometimes, honestly, uh, if the Holy Spirit speaks to you in a moment and it's not on the uh, outline, maybe you need to write down what the Holy Spirit said to you in that moment. Maybe the right answer is what's right for your life through that verse and not the blank. Because uh, I give you permission, okay? And this happened before. This Again, this is speaking from experience, you know. Uh, if you're one of those that cannot leave church without all the blanks filled, you can come ask me after. Okay, or ask a neighbor. I had people do that. Hey, great sermon. By the way, I missed this blank. What was this blank? You know, and I'm like, did you really hear the sermon? Or, you know, did that just bug you for the rest of the message? So uh, it's a tool. It, it's, an it's an opportunity. I, I, I was so thankful for the suggestion. Thank you, Dave. It's a way, uh, you know, because we all learn differently. We all learn differently. Um, number one, though, you know, when we speak the word of God here, uh, it is so much more than an academic exercise, so much more than a college lecture, so much more than a, a business seminar in a, in a hotel lobby. It, it's, it's, it's the living and active Word of God, empowered through the Holy Spirit who will speak to you here and you online and you listening later in the week in ways that I don't even know. It, it, it just blows my mind. You know, uh, and sometimes they joke, you know, they'll talk to Tyler after or Bill or something, and they'll, Tyler will come up to me and say, hey, so-and-so wanted to know if I shared with, you, with me about what's going on. And he's like, no, that's just God, you know? And so part of what I do is, is my job is to rightly 
study and rightly proclaim uh, accurately the Word of God and let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit. And, and so to that end, please do not let uh, a tool supersede that. that. That would really be a bummer um, if that were to happen. So we're going to keep the tool out there. We're going to uh, modify it as needed. It's, we're, uh, some of you are active learners, and you, it helps to engage. That's great. That's great. Use it in that way, but always be listening to the Holy Spirit and make that a priority versus the right answer. And then again, just ask me afterwards or someone else, okay? So we're going to continue looking through Philippians this morning. And before we get into two, I want to go back to Philippians 127, where the Apostle Paul says this to the believers in the city of Philippi. He says this, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And we saw in that verse that he was speaking about, really, uh, as citizens of heaven, be united. Right? He was speaking about and getting our focus off, getting their focus off, uh, being Roman, a Roman colony and saying, hey, wait. When was the last time you thought of your life in terms of being a citizen of heaven? And as a citizen of heaven, live a life that reflects your true citizenship. And we, he launched us into unity, and then the last couple of weeks, unity around the Great Commission. And he's, we're going to continue. We're going to see in Philippians 2 that this theme of unity continues. And again, uh, you know, in God's timing, uh, I, think of, I was thinking of, of what we're about to cover in light of the current conditions in our country, and, and really the world but our country, and how polarizing and divisive the country has become. You know, over the last couple of years, really, uh, just kind of like really amped up, and how uh, there's just 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 this undercurrent of divisiveness and and division and anger and, and all all the emotion that's come with that. And and as I was doing some reading about this, it, it's really interesting. Someone um, that I read said, you know, what has happened uh, in our country over the last couple of years, and and for a variety of circumstances, no matter what side you're on. Uh, is that a lot of the divisiveness is fueled by fear. Fear and lack of trust. And when those come in, now, over time, you begin to just start to look out for yourself. You become very self-protective. And some of you, a lot of your emotion, your fears and everything, now you're, you're shut down and this idea of unity and, and crossing lines or whatever it is much more difficult because now deeply you're trying to protect yourself, right? And, and, and what, what can happen is, is over time, uh, and it fuels our sin nature, is that it becomes about us. And, and the lens and the filter through which we watch the news or we hear things or we have discussions is really about me first. And some of that is fear and pride and, and self-protective driven. So it's, it's a lens that says self, protect self, protect self, right? And, and if that seeps into the church, we're going to see that, that that creates an, an incredible obstacle to, to unity within even the church. Because if we, if outside of these walls, maybe you understand, like, oh, wow, yeah, I see fear, I see anger, I see pride, I see selfishness, and, and that's really about me really kind of trying to protect myself. And then you come in and you bring that baggage into the church where we're supposed to be all in Christ. You can see where it can quickly 
quickly impact negatively the unity that we're supposed to have in the church because now we still bring that lens of self into the church. And in Philippians 2, we're going to see that Paul gives us an incredible basis for unity, but it has nothing to do with me. And and that, that will be, I think, uh, bring freedom, but also will bring some challenge to us this morning. Uh, William Barclay says this, the one danger which threatened the Philippian church was that of disunity. There is a sense in which that is the danger of every healthy church. It is when people are really in earnest, when their beliefs really matter to them, that they are apt to get up against each other. The greater their enthusiasm, the greater the danger that they may collide. It is against that danger Paul wished to safeguard his friends. So it's interesting because it's not only when things are, 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 are stressful and there's fear and, and angst, you can also negatively impact unity when you're all excited for the Lord, right? That's the point. So, so it's on both ends of the spectrum. So that's why we have to really be clear on what is the basis for biblical unity in the church because it can have, we can, we can be, have disunity in struggles and we can have disunity when things are going really well, okay? We can't let our guard down. In fact, in, fact, in Philippians 4.2, there was, there was division, there was discord in the church of Philippi, okay? He says this, the Apostle Paul says, Now I appeal to Yodaya and Suntuhe, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. So this disagreement, check, think about it. Imagine you have a disagreement with someone here, and it, it's so significant that it ends up in the Bible. <laughs> right? Now I appeal to Kathy and Mark, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement, right? Can you imagine, right? You would die and soon too, hey, oh, great. Look what you did now. We're in the Bible for crying out loud. If only you would have just given in and listened to me. Now for hundreds of years, they're going to wonder whose fault it was, right? And and he says, look what he says here. I appeal to you, Adiah, and soon to say, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. Do you hear? Because you belong to the Lord. What he's saying is, hey, take your eyes off of each other and off of yourself, and let me bring you all the way back to the basis of your reconciliation and unity. You both are Christian. You both belong to the Lord. As Bill would say, get over your bad self. Stop thinking about all the reasons you're right and they're wrong. Right? I, I, years ago, I came across this book, and I, I, I bought it just because I love the title. And the title of the book is, Why Should I Be the First to Change? <laughs> Great title, right? And so that's what happens. We get into these issues at home, at work, whatever, and suddenly we load up with why we're right and they're wrong. We both go into our corners and, and you know, the bell rings and we come out there and, and no progress is made because it's really about me and what I think. And he says to these two, because you belong to the Lord, it's a check, it's a check. So if you have a disagreement with a believer, brother or sister, you got to check yourself and kind of come back this way. Because 
when we have conflict with others, I don't know about you, but I go that way really quick. Right? And he says, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. Wow. Right? That's like a full stop moment. Okay? So Philippians 2, 1 through 4 says this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Verse 1 gives us the basis for unity. And again, we're going to see it has nothing to do with my opinion, my feelings, my desires. It has everything to do with who I am in Christ, who we are. Okay. Now, before we get there, it's important to remind you, and we talked about this when we were talking about uh, verse 27 in chapter 1. There's a difference between unity and uniformity. Okay. One way to look at it is that unity, biblical unity, comes from within. It's a heart issue. It's a Holy Spirit based on biblical truth. So unity comes from within. Uniformity comes from pressure without. You know, and, and that's why uh, people tend to, sometimes they look at the pastor as the boss or the spiritual popo around here, right? The, the, the pastor and the elders, we're the popo and we're keeping everyone in uniformity around here, right? And, and it's really not true. Uniformity, right? Uniform, so we're supposed to act alike, talk alike, dress alike, right? And, and it's all sort of this external facade of, oh, wow, they must be really united because they all look the same. Well, no. You can, you can have great division and outwardly put on a uniform front, okay? So, so unity is from within. It's a work of the Spirit, and uniformity comes more from, from without. And, and, you know, if, that's what I love about sort of being a non-denominational independent church. We're united in Christ, but if you look here in the, even just the way we're dressed, right? And, and you, can, you can be comfortable in that. We're united in Christ. We keep the main thing the main thing, and how you dress really is a secondary issue, right? Now, we want to be respectful. I understand the various church traditions, but, you know, Mark's up here wearing shorts today, and, you know, it, if someone was here and they wanted to come up, and your, your tradition and your, your heart and the way that you feel like, you know, you, you resonate with the Lord for church is wearing a coat and a tie and slacks, by all means, it's okay, too. Right, Because unity is a heart issue. It's a heart issue. So in verse 1, he says, if there is any encouragement in Christ. Now, again, that word if is not a hypothetical. It doesn't mean uncertainty. It really means because or since. Okay, it's a fact. It's reality. It's, it's, again, I give this example. If, if uh, my wife is going to Vons and, you know, she says, oh, I'm going to Vons. And then if I say, hey, if you're going to Vons, can you pick this up? I know she's going, so the if is really like since you're going, okay? So sometimes that word, depending on what version you use in your translation, you say if. It's like, what do you mean if? Is there any doubt? No, it's the exact opposite, okay? It's since. If you're comfortable in your Bibles, I would rather, you know, write since or because. Uh, it'll, it'll really change it for you and it's more biblically accurate as far as how we understand these words. So it's a certainty. And he says in this verse 1, there's four certainties that form the basis for our unity in Christ. 
four blessings, really. There's four blessings. Number one, encouragement in Christ. Encouragement in Christ. That word encouragement is the same word that refers to the Holy Spirit given to us as our helper. Okay? In Ephesians 1, 3, it says, All praise to God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Amen? It says, number one, basis for unity, encouragement in Christ. Amen? You've been given everything you need. We all have been given everything we need for life and godliness. We've been given every spiritual blessing. That's encouraging. We've been given the Holy Spirit, the comforter. That's encouraging, okay? Number two, he says, because you have comfort from love, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 5, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Anyone here ever been comforted by God? Right? Look, so everyone did this. You're united in the comfort. You see that? Sometimes, again, we, we individualize our, our following of Jesus. We individualize our faith so much that we forget that we're sharing the same blessings with everyone else. Okay? So we've all been encouraged. We've all had comfort from love. Number three, participation in the Spirit. Now, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 20, 19 to 20 reminds us that if you are a believer, you are the temple of Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Now, again, that's one of those truths that we, I don't know, we just sort of gloss over. When was the last time you spent time really pondering the biblical truth that the third person of the Trinity indwells you? as a believer. I mean, that, that's a knock-your-socks-off truth. God the Holy Spirit, according to 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, indwells you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity. Now, that's a cause for unity. And it's also a cause to step back and, and, and realize, you know, let's just say you're at the Dodger game. Well, believers there, right? Believers there are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and non-believers aren't. That's a radical reality, right? So he says, because you have participation in the Spirit, so we're all indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And 1 Corinthians 12 says this, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit... We were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. We are put into the body of Christ. We're united in being indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and we're in un- being in united in being baptized into the church. Amen? And then finally, number four, affection and sympathy. Because we have affection and sympathy, other versions say tenderness and compassion. First John says this, we know what real love is. Because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we all sought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other, 
but let us show the truth by our actions. How many of you have ever been overwhelmed by the grace and compassion of God for you? Right? It goes all the way back to the cross. But in those moments, maybe you've been really broken. Maybe you've been really struggling. Maybe, you know, you're just in that valley, and you've just been overwhelmed by the compassion, the tenderness, the sympathy of God. He says, you know what? You all have. We really all, we really all have received that. So he gives these four blessings, and really here's the four blessings as the basis for unity. Again, it's not about me. It has nothing to do with my opinion, my thoughts. You know, it's just biblical truth that unites us. Encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, participation in the spirit, affection and sympathy. That's the basis for our unity. That's what unites us. And that's actually even more fundamental than being united by the Great Commission, right? We, we talked about that the last couple of Sundays that, you know, this coming year, we're going to be Great Commission really prioritized, and we're going to go out there and make disciples, and we're going to be united around the Great Commission. That's great. It's great to be united around fulfilling a mission and a purpose. But here's the thing. As we do that, what are we going to do when there's bumps in the road? As we pursue the Great Commission and as we, you know, kind of do our best as fallible human beings, there may be times of, you know, this a little bit. Well, at those moments, what unites us, we come back to these foundational truths. Hey, wait. As brothers and sisters, we all have encouragement. We all have comfort. We all participate in the Spirit. We've all received God's compassion and sympathy. Amen? This is what unites you to other believers. This is the basis of true biblical unity, these four principles. And what's challenging, again, is that we sort of have this marketplace view of the church where we come into a church and we start to evaluate it from ourself and what we get from it and how we see other people and everything like that. And the filter is self, and we, if we're not careful, we tend to either buy into unity based on a self-created evaluation Versus a biblical, right? Because these four principles, really, you can take to any church and be united to other believers. Now, there's stylistic differences in churches, music, dress, I get that. There's stylistic differences, but biblically, if it's a biblically sound church, these four principles say, I can go to any biblically sound church and be united there, amen? Because the stylistic preferential things that we elevate, they're really secondary, so this is where we have to maybe spend time and going, okay, wait, when I go to the well on a Sunday morning, wait, it's really not about what it looks like and the music style and, you know, the, whatever happens out there. What's really uniting me to everyone there and online are these four principles. We're all in Christ, amen? That takes so much pressure off of us, Right? from trying to be man-pleasers and people-pleasers. We're just in Christ. And Paul says, here's four incredible blessings that come with being in Christ. Let this be the glue that binds you together. Let that. And just stay true to that. Okay? And then in Philippians 2, he starts to speak, he speaks about his joy. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. So he says, okay, Here's these four foundational truths. You know what to do with them? Here's the application. 
Be united. And I will be very joyful if you're united, right? Same mind, same love, full accord of one mind. Remember, the basis of two, verse two, is verse one. It doesn't say anything about, hey, be of the same mind about worship style. Hey, be in the same mind about, you know, coffee and tea. Be of the same mind about where you sit. No, none of that, that we, the trappings of church that we elevate, he says, no, that's all secondary. Based on all the truths I just gave you in verse one, be of the same mind, same love, full accord. And it says, you know what? Complete my joy. Joy, there's a joy that he has, and there's a joy in the church when we're united, amen? There should be a joy. I, you know, what, what, was, what was a blessing this morning, I was in my office and just kind of prepping and door was open. I love listening to you when you arrive. Now, we get here real early and we have a, a meeting at 8 o'clock and then, uh, and then you start to arrive, the people who help set up, and then we have the early arrivals. You, you, you guys come in waves, right? And I think it's like the 9 to 9.30 wave is usually the loudest when you get here. I don't know. There's, there's a joy. There was, you know, and some Sundays it's, it, it, you know, I always try to get a pulse a little bit. And my pulse, one of the, way, the ways I do that is by I listen to the, the volume. And today you guys were joyful. There was, there was a joy when you arrived. And I, I mean, you were out front or you were here in the kitchen and commons all setting up. And I sat in my office. And I'm like, wow, Lord, there's a joy here today. And I love that because that's what we pray for here. It's a spiritual joy. It's a fruit of the spirit. It's not manufactured. And I just love that there's a unity here that expresses itself in joy and in genuine affection for one another. Amen. Like when you come here, we are genuinely glad you're here. We really are. It is good to see you. And here's the thing. I've been in ministry long enough that I don't take it for granted. And some of you have had life experiences that this group here mixed with that group online, this is a one-off. It really is. There's never going to be this exact mix, okay? I just, that's just the way it is. And so what I try to do, I shared this with the, we had a, a leadership meeting yesterday as well. Every Sunday, whenever we're together, whether it's here or I'm in a lead meeting, I purposely say, Lord, this is the one that matters. This is not just another Sunday for me. Every Sunday that I come here, after 30 years and after 11 years of the pastors of this church, every Sunday is a new, fresh Sunday that matters. Because the group that he brings here and online, you matter for this Sunday. And we're going to maximize this Sunday because, and this sounds weird, I don't know if I'm going to see you next Sunday in my life or in your life. And so there's this joy when we come with that unity that we're coming together as the church in Christ for this particular moment and we're going to redeem this time. Amen? You got to have that. You got to have that radically changes your whole heart and your whole motive and your whole purpose for being here on a Sunday. This is a one-off. Every Sunday is a one-off. Jordan does youth. And one of the things that we work with, you know, every Wednesday, we prep just for that Wednesday. It's not just another, it's that Wednesday. So, you know, I've been running games, uh, you know, for him, trying to teaching him the theology of gaming and all of that. Confession, we got in trouble from the neighbors because I, I was too loud. But um, it's okay. So, 
but it matters for that one Wednesday. And I just want you to know every Sunday matters to me, matters to this team. It's not just another Sunday. It's this Sunday because you are here. And in Christ, we can be joyful and celebrate this time together. Amen? All right. So that's, that's it, it's so important. You know, I, I love that you, some of you have come across, you know, people with joy, right? Jesus, others, you, right? Great reminder. The church being united in Christ, the joy comes from Jesus, others, you, in that order, right? And in fact, sometimes we'd be more joyful if we flipped that even on a Sunday instead of saying, I hope, I hope I get a good message. I hope they follow through on the cheese. I hope they, I hope I get, you know, the sprinkles. Last Sunday, they weren't sprinkles, and I got out there, and there were no sprinkles. You know, I hope I get sprinkles. So it's, it's funny because, right, we go, we go, joy, Jesus, others, you. And usually, if we're honest, the why goes first. Like, you, others, yodge? Is it yodge? Is it why? I mean, right, it gets all mixed up when you get it out of order. So it's Jesus, others, you. There's joy in that. And when he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having, being, you know what he means? It's, it's present tense. It's continual. The verb tense there is very important. It's continual. It's not a one-off. Okay? And here's how really the basis, and this, this I think maybe will help some of you. So he has those four principles in verse one. And what he's really saying is, hey, if you want to experience joy, if you want Apostle Paul to be joyful and us to be joyful, we all individually have to choose in, in one way to be tuned to Jesus, not each other. Very, very important. This is why we each are responsible to take verse one in those four principles and get it from here to here, right? And the way I liken it is, is um, pitch pipe, Right? And, and, you know, if you're familiar with, with musical scale or whatever, so, so there's an E on here, right? An E. Right? That's a, that, that's a low E. So, and then there's an A. And then a D. And then a G. So there's four notes. In verse 1, there were four principles. Our responsibility is to each of us to be tuned to the word of God and Jesus, not to each other. But even in the church, we're real quick to try to tune to each other. Right? So if we, if we spent just encouragement in Christ, let's all, let's all get in tune with that. Right? Comfort of love. Let, let's all get in tune with that. Forget the person around you. Forget whether or not they're loving or they're being, just you. Get in tune with that. And then we go to the next note, and we go to the next note. The whole point is that we got to take our eyes off of each other and be tuned to Jesus. Amen? Right? If we had 100 pianos in here, you tune to one tuner, not to each other. And if they all focus on tuning to the, the source, then they're all in tune. But what happens in the church is that because we're human, we start to tune off of each other. And we get our, sto- our toes stepped on. And so-and-so did this, and I didn't like this, and you said this, and, and now, you know, and I thought you were a Christian. And, da, 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 and, and before we know it, 
We're not tuning to Jesus and we're not upholding our responsibility before him. Now we're all out of tune. We're just all out of tune, right? And very, instead of focusing those four principles on Jesus, well, you know, now you're judging four, four people four different ways and you're just all tied up in knots because, well, you know, he's an elder and he's not, you know, and he's an elder and, right? And suddenly we're all just out of tune because we're not listening and we're not tuning to the right source. Okay, so very important that biblical unity, that's why I love verse one. He says, here's the tune. Here's four principles, get in tune with these. Keep your eyes, keep your ears on Jesus. And if you all do this, we'll all be in tune. The unity of the church will just follow. Okay, we don't have to be the spiritual popo. All right? Verse two and three, or verse three and four, he starts to go into attitude and action. He says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Again, a habitual attitude of lifestyle. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Okay, everyone say nothing. What do you think that means in the Greek, Barry? Nothing, right? Okay. So let's look, keep that up there because this, this is one of those zinger verses. Do n- 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 nothing. Okay. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Nothing. Woo! How many of your hearts are beating a little bit right now? Like nothing. They really mean no thing? Nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Wow, that, that's, that's heavy, right? Because we tend to like, you know, how many of you in school like being graded on a curve? Amen, right? You like the curve instead of the straight scale. Why do we like the curve? Because, uh, you know, it's a sliding and we compare ourselves to other people in class and we're like, okay, I'm going to do better than that person, that person, and that person's really going to bring the grade down, you know? And so, right, we... We like this curve, and then, then you come to one of these words that says, do nothing? Well, I'm better than Mark. When we start, you know, we try to find wiggle room in this do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Nothing. Well, what this really does immediately is it makes this a supernatural work of God. How many of you would be honest this morning to say, that's going to take a miracle work of God? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Man, oh man. That really just goes right against the grain of how many of us are raised. Because weren't we raised to be ambitious? Weren't we raised for the awards and the accolades and career and advancement and house and car and status simple, right? We're called to be ambitious. In fact, if you weren't ambitious, you were lazy. So how does it, what does that, what does that mean? Because is it wrong to have goals? Is it wrong to want to pursue your God-given talents and gifts, right? Is it wrong to live in a nice house? What, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Really, we have to understand it or else you can, you can kind of get twisted up in knots. You really can. Because this is, remember, it's a heart issue. This is a heart issue. 
Romans 12.10 says this, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, okay? So we're talking about love and honoring now. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. One commentator says this, your disagreements reveal that there's a spiritual problem in your fellowship. It isn't going to be solved by rules or threats. It's going to be solved when your hearts are right with Christ and with each other. Paul wanted them to see that the basic cause was selfishness, and the cause of selfishness is pride. There can be no joy in the life of the Christian who puts himself above others. It's a heart issue. So when he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, he's not saying there's, don't have any goals. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, what is your heart behind those goals? Okay? When he says selfish ambition, it's really self-promotion. It's self-promotion. It's my agenda. Okay? So he says, do nothing out of self-promotion, out of disregard for anyone else. You know a great word picture to, to help us understand selfish ambition? It's a mercenary. What does a mercenary do? He doesn't care about anyone other than himself getting money. So that's really what he's saying. Do nothing in your life like a mercenary where it's all about your gain and you disregard everyone else and every other issue and anything else that may come from your actions, as long as you get yours, you're fine. That's selfish ambition. Okay, so that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about having goals and wanting to go to college and get a career. He's not talking about that. He's saying, hey, you know what? Are you just about you? Are you so much about yourself and your agenda that you don't even care about brothers and sisters in Christ anymore? That's really what he's talking about, okay? And when he talks about conceit, he's talking about that word conceit means empty glory. Kind of like this highly exaggerated view of yourself. So he says, you know what? Do nothing out of like selfish ambition, trying to get your way, disregarding anyone else, and looking for the empty pats on the back. That's what he's talking about when he talks about conceit, right? You just, you want everyone to notice you and give you the attaboy and attagirl. That, that's what he's talking about. Don't do anything with that kind of heart. And then he says, being in full, and then he says, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. The word humility, uh, we got to understand biblical humility, what it is and what it isn't, Okay. Biblical humility is not, everyone say not. It is not beating yourself up. It is not berating yourself. It's not this spiritual inferiority complex. That is not humility. That's, that could be a form of false humility, actually. It can actually be a form of pride to go around saying, oh, I'm so, you know. That is not humility. Biblical humility One person described it like this, defined it. It's an estimation of ourselves according to truth. So biblical humility comes from having a true perspective about ourselves in relation to God. If you want to be humble, truly biblically humble, come before God. And sit and bow before God of the universe long enough to get it sunk into your heart and mind that you're not God and that he is. That's where true, That's what they're talking about. In humility, it's having a correct perspective of yourself in relationship to God. One way I, I describe this is 
I uh, grew up playing sports down in San Diego. Did pretty good. Did, did, did pretty good. Um, and uh, one of the sports I played in was football, right? And we were a small school, only like 1,500 people in our school. Did pretty good. You know, got one letter from Cal at that time. You're like, oh, we're interested, yada, yada. So you kind of feel good about yourself, right? And, and then I went to UCLA for a summer program. And we were in the dorms. And at one point, the full-ride scholarship freshmen showed up. And these guys were ginormous. And they were my age. So here I am from a smaller school in San Diego, kind of thinking, oh, I got some accolades, got a letter of recruitment. That was kind of cool, right? You show up. These guys show up at the dorm. And they're my age. They were just playing. These are the full-ride UCLA boys, right? And they were like... You, you're, you're my grade? That's huge. Like D1, out of high school. And suddenly things were put in the right perspective. Because you can be a big fish in a little pond. And then they plant you in the ocean. And you're like, row, row. You're still a big fish in your little pond, right? You go home in the trophy case at the high school, your name's all that kind of stuff. But then when you're around a bigger pool, suddenly things are put and you're put in your place, right? Biblical humility comes from coming before God and being put in your place, right? And we talked about this goes all the way back to the garden where what what did the devil tempt Eve with? Being God. And so this thing that we have that's ingrained in our sin nature from the fall is that you can be God. You're the boss. You're the authority. No one can tell you what to do. We talked about this last week, right? And so along comes the Apostle Paul, and he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. More significant. Well, how are you able to do that? Well, fundamentally, you're able to do that when you kind of get knocked down to your proper place in relation to God. Amen? When I am sufficiently and appropriately humbled before God, suddenly I have a different view of people around me. Suddenly I'm just not using people. Suddenly people aren't just thorns in my side, irritants in my way from what I'm trying to achieve with my selfish ambition or conceit. Suddenly, because I'm not God, I see, start to see people through God's eyes. You understand what I'm saying? It's a heart issue. It is such a heart issue. And then he says in verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Woo! How many of you tend to, okay, we're going to speak very broadly. How many of you tend to, when you plan your day, plan your week, tend to put your interests first? Right? Planning out our day. What do I want to do today? What am I going to do today? Right? Well, I'm not to only look out my own interests. I'm supposed to look out for the interests of others all the time. It's continuous, right? I'm supposed to be others-centered. He's talking about this heart issue where we're self-self-absorbed in ourselves. Now, you've heard me say this about church, and, and I say this out of love and because I just want the best for this church. I challenge us constantly, when you come on a Sunday... Are you coming to be just a getter or a giver? 
You say, I've said that so many times over the last seven years. A lot of times we go to church. I want to get a good sermon. I want to get a good worship time. I want to get a good, I want to get a, versus, Lord, today, I want to give. I want to give encouragement. I want to give a smile. I want to give a prayer. I want to, amen? If you came here, I say this all the time when I bring this up. If you come here and before you get to church, you say, Lord, today, I don't want to just be a getter. Today, when I go to the well, I want to be a giver. Your whole view will change from the time you get out of your car because you'll be looking to give a smile, give an ear. But this again, I get it because it goes back to how many of us are raised. Very self-absorbed culture. Even when it comes to church, it's about what we get. Okay, we got to be very careful about that. That's why the title of the sermon, you know, you kind of, I don't know if you got the notes. It's unity in action, right? Now, that word you doesn't mean you, like the listener. It means you saying that to someone else, right? So everyone say unity in action. Okay, so that means look around to someone and say, that means you. That means you looking at them, right? So, so that's not me. It's like I'm not telling you. This is you. Like if we're all other-centered, if we're all you-centered, like I come here and it's about you and not me, this place will explode in love and unity and joy. Because we're coming here not for me but for you. Unity in action. And it might impact your home your marriage, your relationship with your kids, your workplace. If it's unity in action, it's about you. It's not just about me. It's about you, right? Unity in action. A couple examples where people were so self-absorbed that they lost focus. James 4.13, familiar. It says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Okay, businessmen, so self-absorbed, consumed with selfish ambition, who'd they forget? God. They left God out of the equation, okay? We can get so self-absorbed in what we think and what we're pursuing, we don't even ask if it's God's will. We're not even submitted to the Lord's will. We're so consumed with selfish ambition, right? What we want. Romans 14, 19, there's a passage in there about, uh, you know, discussion came up in the church about eating foods, certain foods that have been sacrificed to idols, and, you know, how do you do that? Look at the principle behind this in Romans 14. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Do you see the other centered? This, isn't, this, this, this verse says, be more concerned about the spiritual welfare of a brother or sister in Christ than your rights. Right? But in our culture, again, something can seep into the church where we're more consumed with our rights than what's best for my brother or sister. And me willingly laying down my rights 
for your well-being. Okay? Other-centered. Not my own interest, the interests of others. All right? James Montgomery Boyce says this, and this impacts the Great Commission. He says this, if believers will conduct themselves in a manner that leads to Christian unity, then they will find that this also leads them to strive together to advance the Christian gospel. And the result will be an aggressive Christianity. The Christians at Philippi knew what it meant to stand fast as Romans at the frontiers of the Roman world. They knew the obligation that was theirs to advance Roman rule in the face of barbarism. In the same way, Paul would have them united for an aggressive advancement of the faith. Amen? See, if we can get this, and we, maybe we start here, and it's unity in action, it's other-centered, it's joy, and we're united and keeping the main things the main things. You know what? When we go, we're going to go. And we're going to make a difference. Because we're not going to be consumed with infighting. And we're not going to be consumed with nitpicking and all the little irritants that come with being the church. Much of that will be resolved if we're united in Christ, and then we're just free to go preach the gospel. Amen? Okay? So how do we, how do we make this real? How do we begin to apply this being other-centered and not looking out for our own interest in humility? Came across this story, and there's wonderful application to this across the board. It says this. It's a story about a young nurse. It says this. During my second month of nursing school, our professor gave us a pop quiz. I was a conscientious student and had breezed through the questions until I read the last one. Quote, what is the first name of the woman who cleans the school? Surely this was some kind of joke. I had seen the cleaning woman several times. She was tall, dark-haired, and in her 50s. But how would I know her name? I handed in my paper, leaving the last question blank. Before class ended, one student asked if the last question would count toward our quiz grade. Absolutely, said the professor. Quote, in your careers, you will meet many people. All are significant. They deserve your attention and care, even if all you do is smile and say hello. I've never forgotten that lesson. I also learned her name was Dorothy. Who is the Dorothy in your life? Who needs your attention? Others, Lord, yes, others, let this be my motto be. Help me to live for others that I might live like thee. See, it's not intentional. Sometimes we're just so consumed with where we got to get to, we just walk right past people day in and day out. And we don't even know their names. We don't even know their names. And it's, you don't even, it's, it can be so simple, you know. Um, I, uh, oftentimes I'm out, I'm out in the morning on our, on our trash day, you know, when the trucks happen to come by. And, you know, I realized just doing this to the guys as they stop in front of my house for just two seconds and the thing goes up and down and I do this and I wave, it's meaningful. It matters. Brightens their day. It's significant. Right? It's interesting. Uh, my daughter, uh, you know, many of you may have seen her on uh, week, uh, weekday morning. She's a crossing guard out there in front of Miramani on the main road in her bright orange Caltrans jacket that, that was given to her. Right? And, and I love talking to her because we, we often will share. I said, who would you say hi to today? 
And it's so great because in her crossing guard position there, over time, because she's out there daily, uh, the construction guys and the Caltron guys and all this, they end up, ha- they end up ha- having this high. And I said, you know what you do, Eileen? You become iconic to them, like you brighten their day because you acknowledge them on their way to work. It's, it, it matters. Pe- people matter. And if we will just kind of be other-centered and not necessarily so focused, even unintentionally, that we just can't even say hi to people, you know, when you go to the store, the cashier, I try to just have a little conversation with cashiers because they're humans. They're doing their best. Hey, how's your day going, you know? And it's funny because sometimes they don't know what to do with, with that conversation, right? I go to, like, fast food, and, they're, you know, the, the, the um, people are taking their orders on the outside there, and sometimes there's a line, so they'll stop, and I'll say, hey, how you doing? Good, good. How long, how long do you have to be out here? Uh, what? What? They're not used to people having conversation. Like, how? You ever get to sit down? I have this conversation with people because I want to just, you're significant. And just, and it's so neat to see them just, and, and you're just, by doing that, you're just saying you matter. I'm interested in you. For this one minute while we're here and, I'm, and you're taking my order, I'm treating you like a human being because you matter. It, it, this, I share this with you because it's that simple. It's that simple. Even at church, even at church, everyone around you matters. Say hi to them. <laughs> no, okay, yeah, you can do that now if you want. <laughs> that was sort of a generic encouragement, but okay. <laughs> Get to know their name. Get to know their name. I mean, you know, and I know, you know, some it's different personalities and all that, but, but that's why, you know, if you're not here early, uh, what I do, and I've been doing it for a long time, is, is I come in about five till, and I try to do this for all the early birds that are here. Because I want to acknowledge you and, and let you know I appreciate you coming and say hi and just, you know, have a brief moment of like, you matter to me. Thank you for being here. And I, and I look forward to that. I really do. But that's just not me. That's not because my J-O-B, and I hope that, that it's not perceived that way. I hope that we can all just be a church that does that. Because we all matter, because we're all made in the image of God. We're all fearfully and wonderfully made. Okay? First John 4. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. So if you're struggling with this, go back to the cross and God's love for you at your most unlovable state. That might give you the courage and the power of the Holy Spirit to go say hi to somebody, to love them. And then Jesus says in John 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So here's our great thing. The great testimony of the gospel starts with us loving each other. Self-sacrificial love. Just love each other. Okay? Stephen Cole says this, and we'll finish with this. The key to harmonious relationships is not to esteem self, assert self, or stand up for self. 
It is rather to put self to death and to regard others more highly than myself for Jesus' sake. If we would apply this to our homes and church, we would experience much more harmony and much less conflict. It's a painful cure, but it's the only cure given by God's word of truth. And our greatest example is Jesus, and we'll see that next week when he emptied himself. Jesus, who is God, emptied himself for our sake. We're going to see that next week. And, and so you go back to the cross and you recognize the incredible, overwhelming, supernatural grace and love of God for you and for me. And that's the basis that we go out and love one another. Amen? Father, thank you. Thank you this morning for speaking to us about unity. A unity based on our position in Christ. A unity based on what we've already received. And so, Father, help us to make these truths real. Father, then you tell us to do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. You tell us to be humble. You tell us not to just look out for our own interests, but for the interests of others, to consider others more significant, to honor others. And, Father, so much of that we would agree with, but it is so tough. Because, quite frankly, Father... Much of our life we were either raised or much of our life even now really centers about us. I, me, mine. My interests, my desires, my ambitions, my preferences. And Father, we confess that even that bleeds into the church sometimes. We come on a Sunday and if we're honest, sometimes we come see what we're going to get rather than what we're going to give. So Father, we confess this before you. We recognize it's going to take a work of the Holy Spirit, transformation. But we begin with confession and submission and a request that you would change our hearts, that you would change our focus, that we would truly love in the way that you loved us first by sending Jesus. So Father, as we prepare for communion, continue to speak to our hearts. We don't want to just be hearers of the word, we want to be doers this morning. Amen. God is good at all of the time. Amen. Amen. So um, the Lord just put this verse, gave me, gave me this verse this morning. This is 1 John 3, part of verse 1. It says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. That's the part that just really grabbed me this morning, that the Father has loved us. Every single one of you and everybody who's watching, the Father has loved you, has loved you personally so much that he made you your chi his child. And then he just says, and so we are. That is the truth. That is the reality of who you are and who we are today, sitting here, joining together to love and worship our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, as we do every week, just thank you. Thank you again for making the choice to walk in that childhood. Thank you for making the choice to come and be with brothers and sisters, because again, that is who we are. We are his children. We are brothers and sisters of one another in the family of God. 
And we come together to be his family, to worship him as his family, to live together as his family. And that is a joy to do. So thanks for joining us, whether you're here in person, whether you're joining us online. We really do appreciate and value your participation this morning. So would you just pray with me as we get ready to just move forward today? So, Lord, Father, thank you. Thank you for that love that you have expressed to us in your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for the love that you embodied, your father's love for us in your choice to come, to live, to die, to be resurrected, and to give us your spirit. Lord, that is a love that we, it is hard to, it's unfathomable. It's impossible to even understand or describe, but we have the truth and the reality that so we are. We are loved, we are your children, and we thank you for that. So we, we are happy that you are here with us today, Lord, as we, as we sing, as we are taught, as we pray, as we just interact with you and with one another this morning, Lord. Would you just fill this place? Would you be the life that, that is in us and lives through us with one another? It's in your name, and we honor and love you, Jesus. Amen. Um, so, kids, I see kids kind of ready to go. There, there's the Marin boys ready to go. Okay, kids, what time is it? All right, come on, kids, come on down. Here we go, right out the door here. Oh, Josie, you look so excited. All right, all right, great. Okay, so uh, just a, a few announcements. Um, last weekend, uh, there were actually five guys from here, myself included, uh, went up to Fraser Park, and we went to a men's retreat um, called Solely Business. Um, this is actually the five of us, and the guy in the middle is uh, Randy's son, Haas. He came over from Bakersfield. We had really a spectacular time. This was uh, kind of Friday afternoon, all day Saturday, and then Sunday morning. And as a first-time attendee, I had heard about this uh, pretty regularly from Bill and Randy, who've been before. And honestly, men, this was a very, very powerful event. Uh, It was really an opportunity for men from a, a diverse walks of life. That was really one of the things that impressed me the most being there was the diversity of men from every walk of life from, you know, the guy sitting next to me who had probably spent more time in prison than out of prison, you know, to uh, the guy on the other side of me was a probation officer and a, 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 a pharmacist and an investment banker, just a wide ar- array of guys, but all of the guys being there to really grapple with our faith, to grapple with our pursuit of God. And it was a very, very powerful weekend on a personal level and on an interpersonal level. So the point of bringing that up is that um, there are multiple of these uh, retreats that take place um, every year. There's one coming up, and I guess the next one is in, in March of next year, but they are doing sign-ups, and sign-ups literally fill up within about an hour. And so the sign-ups are this upcoming Sunday, November 22nd, at 2 p.m. And that means like not, not 2.30, not 3 o'clock. It's like at 2 p.m. being online. So if it's something that you're interested in, you actually could uh, just go out to, it's called Solely 
business is how you could find it on the web, or more specifically, talk to Randy, uh, and Randy would be happy to give you more information about it, help you through the sign-up process, that kind of stuff. But I really encourage men, uh, whether you're here or whether you're watching, to really give that some serious consideration. It was a wonderful event. Um, the next uh, uh, announcement is just about a family movie event. You've heard about this, but just want to remind you, on Saturday, December 4th at 2 p.m., uh, it's going to be here uh, for families or anybody who'd like to, to come, and it's going to be the movie The Star. So we encourage you to take advantage of that. And then next is my, my lovely wife, my bride, the love of my life. <laughs> Good morning. Um, well, the women at the well, we're having a Christmas brunch this year because uh, we can do it. And so it's going to be uh, December 11th, 11 a.m. here at the well. Um, this is just kind of a save the date announcement just to give you a heads up about it. Um, and we will have more announcements each week about more specifics, but it's a brunch. Uh, we're going to have um, cookie exchange. We're going to have optional crafts. So um, you can sign up. We have a sign-up sheet in the back. You can RSVP me at my email here. Uh, but it's just kind of keep it in mind. Start signing up. Uh, also, if you'd like to help, let me know or Katie. Uh, so um, we're looking forward to it. Hope you all can come. And also to invite a friend. Start thinking about maybe a neighbor or friend that you can invite to it as well. Thank you, Mrs. Bodycomb. <laughs> I hear about this every time we go home. It's like, you know. So, so, um, so lastly, actually, we had a, a dad in uh, here uh, last week make a recommendation to Richie relative to the sermon notes, uh, which has been incorporated. It was a great idea. So if you happen to use the sermon notes, on the front is uh, what is normally just the verses and kind of a blank space to take notes as the Lord kind of puts things on your heart. But what's been added is on the back is like a little fill-in-the-blank uh, kind of a thing. So if that is something that's kind of what you like to do, whether you're young or whether you're old, it doesn't matter. Uh, but on the back is an opportunity to kind of follow along with the content of the message and kind of take notes with a little bit of prompting and stuff. So I see uh, Bobby's running back to get one so he can uh, do that. Great. <laughs>